Encyclical Letter Fin dal Principio On the Education of the Clergy December the 8th, 1902 By Pope Leo the 13th This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Algie Pug Encyclical Letter of Our Holy Father Leo the Thirteenth, to the bishops of Italy, venerable brethren, health and apostolic benediction. Fixing our mind on the serious condition of society, we have not been slow to recognize, from the very beginning of our pontificate, that one of the gravest duties of our apostolic charge was to watch, in the most special manner, over the formation of the clergy. We understood, in effect that every project of ours to restore the Christian spirit amongst the people would be vain, unless the ecclesiastical body preserved entire and vigorous the priestly spirit. Hence we have not ceased to provide, therefore, according to our power, as well by suitable institutions as by many documents, all tending to the same end. At the present moment, venerable brethren, a special solicitude for the clergy of Italy induces us to touch once more upon a subject of such great importance. It is true, indeed, that the clergy afford splendid and constant proofs of learning, piety, and zeal, amongst which it pleases us to recall with praise their ardour to cooperate with the bishops in the direction of the Catholic movement, which is so dear to us. We cannot, however, hide the anxiety which we feel at seeing insinuating itself here and there for some time past, a spirit of ill-considered innovation, concerning not only the formation, but also the manifold action of the ministers of religion. It is even now easy to foresee what serious consequences we should have to deplore, if to such novel tendencies a suitable remedy were not applied. In order to preserve the Italian clergy from the pernicious influences of the times, we consider it opportune, venerable brethren, to recall, in our present letter, the true and changeless principles which would regulate ecclesiastical education and the sacred ministry. Divine in its origin, supernatural in its being, immutable in character, the Catholic priesthood is not an institution which may be accommodated to the inconstancy of opinions and the systems of men. A sharing of the eternal priesthood of Jesus Christ it must perpetuate, even unto the consummation of ages, the same mission which the Divine Father confided to His incarnate Son. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, verse 21. To effect the eternal salvation of souls is the great mandate which it may never fail to obey, just as, in order to accomplish this faithfully, it must never cease to have recourse to those remedies those divine rules of thought and action which Jesus Christ gave when he sent his apostles through the entire world to convert the nations to the gospel. Hence it is that St. Paul repeats in his epistles that the priest is not other than the ambassador, the minister of Christ, the dispenser of his mysteries. Second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 20, chapter 6, verse 4. First letter to the Corinthians, Chapter 4, verse 1 And represents him as raised to the position of intermediary between heaven and earth. Letter to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 1 
to treat with God concerning the supreme interests of the human race, which are those of the life eternal. Such is the conception which the sacred books exhibit of the Christian priesthood, a supernatural institution, superior to all others on earth, and entirely separated from them as the divine is from the human. The same lofty ideal stands out clearly from the writings of the fathers, the teaching of the Roman pontiffs and the bishops, the decrees of councils, the unanimous conviction of the doctors and Catholic schoolmen. Nay, the unbroken tradition of the Church proclaims with one voice that the priest is another Christ, and that the priesthood, although exercised on earth, appertains in truth to the celestial hierarchy because to him is entrusted the administration of things altogether heavenly, and a power is conferred upon him which God has not conferred even upon the angels, a power and a ministry which regard the government of souls or the art of arts. Therefore have the education, the studies, the moral formation, in a word, all that appertains to ecclesiastical discipline, been ever considered as something consistent and complete in itself, not only distinct, but entirely separated from the ordinary standards of the life of laymen. This distinction and separation must, then, remain in our day, and all tendencies to blend or confound ecclesiastical education and manner of life with the education and life of the laity are condemned, not only by the tradition of our Christian past, but by apostolic teaching and the commandments of Jesus Christ. Undoubtedly, in the formation of the clergy and in the priestly ministry, reason insists that we take into account the diversity of times. In consequence, we are far from disapproving of those changes which render the work of the clergy more efficacious amidst the society in which they live. It is precisely for this reason that we have deemed it fitting to foster among ecclesiastics a culture more solid and more perfect, and to open for this ministry a more extended field. But every other innovation that would cause injury to the essential character of the priesthood must be considered altogether blameworthy. Above all things, the priest is constituted the teacher, physician, and shepherd of souls, and guides them to an end which is beyond the limits of the present life. He can never correspond fully with functions so noble, unless he be versed as deeply as he should be in the science of things holy and divine, unless he be abundantly endowed with that piety which makes him a man of God, unless he employ all his efforts to confirm his teaching by the power of example, according to the warning given to the spiritual pastors by the Prince of the Apostles, being made a pattern of the flock from the heart. First letter of Peter, chapter 5, verse 3. Whatever changes the times and the conditions of society undergo, those are the proper and supreme qualities which, according to the principles of faith, should be resplendent in the Catholic priest. All other endowments, natural and human, are commendable, it is true, but in relation with the priestly office they will have an importance only secondary and relative. If, then, it is reasonable and just that, within lawful limits, the clergy should accommodate themselves to the needs of the present age, it is, similarly, just and necessary that, far from yielding to the dangerous current of the time, they should resist it with vigour. This conduct corresponds with the lofty purpose of the priesthood, and, by increase of dignity and respect, renders its ministry more fruitful. 
it is only too well known how the spirit of naturalism tends to corrupt the social body, even in the healthiest places. The spirit, which puffs up the souls of men and prompts them to revolt against all authority, which degrades human hearts and turns them to seek things which decay, oblivious of those which endure forever. It is much to be feared that the influence of this spirit, so injurious and already so far diffused, may insinuate itself amongst ecclesiastics, especially those of less experience. Its disastrous consequences would be the lessening of that gravity of conduct which the priest so greatly needs, easy concessions to the charm of every novelty, pretentious indocility towards superiors, neglect of that gravity and moderation in discussion which are so necessary, particularly in matters of faith and morals. But in effect far more deplorable, because linked with prejudice to the Christian world, would ensue in the sacred ministry of the word, into which would be introduced a language incompatible with the character of the herald of the gospel. Moved by such considerations, we feel obliged to recommend anew, and with greater earnestness, that above all things, the seminaries be maintained with zealous solicitude in their proper spirit, as well as in what concerns the education of the mind, as in what concerns that of the heart. It must never be forgotten that their exclusive purpose is to prepare young men, not for human functions, howsoever legitimate and honourable they may be, but for the exalted mission which we have indicated, of ministers of Christ and dispensers of the mysteries of God. First letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 1. According to this ideal, altogether supernatural, it will be ever easy, as we have remarked in the encyclical to the clergy of France in September 1899, to trace the precious standards, not only for the true formation of clerics, but also for the averting from educational establishments all peril in the way of religion or morality. As to studies, since the clergy may not ignore the progress made in any branch of useful knowledge, let them accept whatever is recognised as sound and helpful in the new methods, for each epoch contributes something to the growth of human thought. We wish, however, that in this regard, the directions be carefully recalled which we have given concerning the study of classical literature, and especially the study of philosophy, theology, and the analogous sciences, directions which we have set forth in several documents, but particularly in the encyclical of which we transmit you a copy with this, our present letter. It is certainly desirable that all young ecclesiastics may always be able, as they should be, to make their course of studies in the shelter of sacred institutions. But since grave reasons counsel that, at times, some of them should frequent the public universities, let it not be forgotten with what and how great precautions the bishops should allow them to do so. For the sublime object of preparing worthy ministers of God, it is necessary, venerable brethren, to employ, with an ever-increasing vigour and vigilance, besides scientific methods, the disciplinary and educational organisation of your seminaries. Let only those young men be admitted who offer solid hopes of a purpose to consecrate themselves forever to the ecclesiastical ministry. Let them avoid contact and community of abode with young men who do not aspire to the priesthood. This manner of living in community with them may be tolerated for a time, 
for just and grave reasons, and with special precautions, as long as young ecclesiastics cannot be recruited according to the spirit of their proper training. Let those be sent away who, during the course of their studies, manifest tendencies little in accordance with the priestly calling, and in admitting clerics to sacred orders, let the greatest care be employed according to the weighty warning of St. Paul to Timothy, impose not hands lightly upon any man. In all this it is fitting that every other consideration be esteemed as secondary, every other must be deemed inferior to the most important of all considerations, that of the dignity of the sacred ministry. Then, in order to form, in the students of the sanctuary, a living image of Jesus Christ, it is a matter of great consequence for that formation, which is the crown of all ecclesiastical education, that the directors and teachers join to diligence and the experience of their functions the example of a truly sacerdotal life. The exemplary conduct of those who exercise authority, especially over young men, is the most eloquent language and the most persuasive to inspire them with a sense of their own obligations and the love of good. A work so important demands, especially of the spiritual director, a prudence far beyond the ordinary and a never-wearied care. And such a function as his, and of which we wish to see no seminary deprived, calls for an ecclesiastic greatly experienced in the ways of Christian perfection. We cannot recommend him urgently enough to spread and cultivate amongst the students, in the most lasting manner, piety, profitable for all, but of inestimable value for the clergy. Let him also forearm them against the dangerous mistake, common enough amongst the young, when they allow themselves to be carried away by the ardour of study, to the point of neglecting, in consequence, their progress in the science of the saints. The more deeply piety sinks its roots in the souls of ecclesiastics, the more capable will they be of that powerful spirit of sacrifice absolutely necessary to labour for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. Thank God there are not wanting in the Italian clergy priests who give noble proofs of what is possible to a minister of God penetrated with this spirit. Admirable is the generosity of a great number who, to spread the kingdom of Jesus Christ, run with ardour to distant lands, regardless of fatigue, privations, and sufferings of all kinds, and even of martyrdom. Thus, surrounded by tender and vigilant care, in a fitting culture of spirit and talent, the young Levite will gradually become such as the holiness of his calling and the needs of the Christian people require. The apprenticeship is long indeed. It must be continued even beyond the days of the seminary. In effect, young priests may not be left without guides in their first labours. They have need to be sustained by the experience of men more capable, whose zeal and piety and prudence have grown mature. It is similarly useful to form the custom of keeping them continually in touch with sacred studies, either by academic exercises or by conferences at fixed intervals. It is evident, venerable brethren, that the recommendations which we have hitherto made, far from being a hindrance in any way, are, on the contrary, most useful for that social activity of the clergy which we have so often encouraged as a need of our times. As the faithful observance of the rules, which we have recalled, require, it is necessary to safeguard that which must be the life and soul of this activity. Let us repeat it again, 
and more emphatically. It is necessary that the clergy go to the Christian people, who are exposed on every side to snares and false promises, and urged, especially by socialism, to apostasy from their hereditary faith. But all priests must subordinate their action to those whom the Holy Ghost has placed as bishops to rule the Church of God, without which confusion and grave disorder would ensue to the prejudice of the cause which they have to defend and promote. We desire, furthermore, in pursuance of this purpose, that at the end of their seminary course, the aspirants to the priesthood shall receive instruction in the pontifical documents which concern the social question and Christian democracy, while abstaining, however, as we have said above, from outward work. Then, having become priests, let them sedulously labour for the people, who are always the object of the most affectionate solicitude of the Church. To save the children of the people from ignorance of spiritual and eternal things, and with industrious tenderness to guide them towards an honourable and virtuous life, to confirm the adults in the faith, and while dissipating contrary prejudices, to urge them to the observance of the Christian life, to promote amongst the Catholic laity those institutions which have been recognised as truly beneficial for the moral and material betterment of the masses. Above all, to defend the principles of evangelical justice and charity, by which all the rights and duties of civil society are justly harmonised. This is, in its great outlines, the noble task of priestly social action. But let him always remember that, in the midst of the people, he must preserve entire his august character of minister of God, being set at the head of his brethren chiefly for the sake of souls. Every manner of working for the people at the expense of priestly dignity and to the prejudice of ecclesiastical duty and discipline, deserves only severe reprobation. Such, venerable brethren, is what the consciousness of the apostolic charge urged us to speak, considering the actual situation of the clergy in Italy. We have no doubt that, in a matter so grave and so important, you will unite with our solicitude the most active and most devoted efforts of your zeal, being inspired particularly by the luminous example of the great Archbishop St. Charles Borromeo. Wherefore, to ensure the effect of our present regulations, you will be careful to make them the subject of your local conferences, and to agree upon such practical measures as, according to the needs of each diocese, will appear opportune. The support of our authority will not, if necessary, be lacking to your projects and deliberations. And now, with a word which springs spontaneously from the bottom of our paternal heart, we turn to you all, priests of Italy, recommending that each and every one exert his utmost care to correspond ever more worthily with the proper spirit of your eminent vocation. To you, ministers of God, we say, with more reason than St. Paul said to the simple faithful, I, therefore, a prisoner in the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation in which you are called. Letter to the Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 1. May the love of the Church, our common mother, solidify and purify the harmony of thought and action which redoubles power and renders work more fruitful. In times so hurtful to religion and society, when the clergy of all nations must unite themselves more closely for the defence of Christian faith and morality, it behooves you, well-beloved sons, united to the apostolic see by special bonds, 
It behooves you to give the example to all others, and to be the first in absolute obedience to the voice and orders of the Vicar of Jesus Christ. Thus will the blessings of God descend abundantly, as we implore, in order that the clergy of Italy may remain always worthy of their glorious traditions. Meanwhile, as a pledge of divine favours, receive the apostolic blessing which we now accord with a fusion of heart to you, venerable brothers, and to all the clergy whose guardians you are. Given in Rome, at St. Peter's, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception of Mary, December the 8th, 1902, in the 25th year of our pontificate. Leo Thirteenth, Pope. End of encyclical letter, Fin dal Principio, on the education of the clergy, December the 8th, 1902, by Pope Leo Thirteenth. End of encyclical letters of Pope Leo Thirteenth.